Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. church this is such an exciting time this is the most incredible time in the history of this church that we're about to go into it is really exciting and so this morning I want to talk to you about giving birth now you might wonder how a girl like me can talk to you about giving birth because I've not had any children however although I don't practice now, I am a midwife. And over the years, I've seen hundreds of babies come into the world, and I don't think there is anything greater, anything more incredible, awesome, than actually seeing a baby come into this world when you're the one watching. (laughs) It wasn't at all painful, (laughs) except I did get kicked a few times. You know, uh, I think that um, it isn't any wonder that people cry when a baby's born. Even there are many times when I've been moved, when I see the family, and I've been moved to tears. It's an indescribable moment when this life that was once the size of a pinhead has now developed into something like you and me. I can't even imagine that I was once like this, but I was. And I think that, you know, that's just how people can think we came from a monkey... It's just unfathomable. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. When people say we came from monkeys, I always tell them, well, you might have, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's something incredible about seeing some new life with new opportunities and new things. And God is doing a new thing. God doesn't repeat old things. God does new things. And we're 2017. And it's going to be different from 2016. And if we don't have an expectation of something new, we'll just have a repeat of 2016. You know, God has got something exciting in store for us. And God, you know, being born is the hardest journey that you'll ever take, undertake in life. Your head will never be under as much pressure again as it was when you were born. <laughs> so much so that your bones overlapped. For you to be born. Such was the design of the way God made us. But your head will never have to go through that again. And God uh, has done an incredible thing in the way that he has created us and in the way that he gives birth to things. Because birth and conception don't happen on the same day, do they? God has been conceiving stuff in our hearts for the last three years or more. And we've been working on a journey towards what we're doing now, even though we didn't know what we were going to do now. We've been on a journey. We've had something conceived inside of us. And now God is going to give birth to something new in us and in the church here. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is just three things that God always does when he's about to give birth to something. And the first thing is here that God always prepares in advance. This hasn't taken God by surprise. You know, I was thinking about Eric and Lisa's journey when Mark mentioned that they've been waiting and waiting for their visa. And, you know, I know that in my life, God 
whenever God has said no, it's always in order to steer me towards yes. You know, we can sometimes try this way, we can try that way, we can try that way. The door doesn't open simply because God doesn't, we haven't quite got to the open door yet. (laughs) You know, God's no's are not because God is a taskmaster. God's no's are because he wants you to move on around, a bit further on around till you get to the yes. And I think with Eric and Lisa, the opportunities that will open up now with their visa would never have happened had they got the door open on the first yes. You know, God has plans and purposes. We have to trust him in that. But God always prepares things in advance. And in the natural, when you give birth, you prepare in advance. You don't wait for the day when the baby's born and then go, oh, what's he going to wear? And oh, where's he going to sleep? You know, you've done all that. You've gone out and you've bought things and you've prepared things, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, you've prepared for that. You've made a space in your home to welcome in someone else new. And additions to the family are going to change things and they're going to change dynamics and you've got to make adjustments for that in order to welcome that new life into your home. And if we look back in history, we can see that God has prepared from day one. Right from eternity, from the start through to eternity, God has prepared. In creation, he spent six days creating the heavens and the earth, not just for our physical needs, but for our mental and emotional well-being as well. God created everything and he put it all together. And he did it in six days and on the seventh day he rested. He prepared for our weaknesses and our failures by sending Jesus. He gave us a second chance at a relationship with the Father. And he didn't just prepare for our time on earth, he's prepared for eternity. From Alpha to Omega, God has prepared everything in advance. And God sat down and said, this is good. I've done it. I've done it all. And I've prepared it all for you. And what we'll be doing next week is what God has been conceiving in our hearts. And interestingly, in the, just before the first service, someone was talking to me about, about something, but I felt, in a way, it's kind of prophetic. We were talking about those cars. You know those cars that kids play with, that you pull back, and the further you pull them back, the further they go. And what we've been doing, I think, in our preparation over these last couple of years, is pulling that back. And this morning in my message, I just want to make that last little pull. Because next week, I want you to let it go. You know, God has got something. He's birthed something and he's going to do something. And I felt that was really prophetic. Yes, this is our time now to usher in what God has done. We've thought about it. We've thought about why we're doing it. We've thought about some of the practical details. We don't know quite what that's going to look like until it happens. But there's one aspect of our preparation that I want to focus on this morning in particular. And I want us to give attention to this. And it's in Isaiah 54. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. According to this scripture, singing and rejoicing comes before birth. In barrenness is the song of joy for the child that is to come. And when we celebrate with joy, the answer before we see it, we cause something to happen spiritually. (coughs) We cause that thing to come into being. We draw it towards us. When we shout and sing and celebrate, before we see the answer, 
we set something in motion spiritually and we draw that thing of whatever it is that God has towards us. Now, really, we're Pentecostal, although sometimes you wouldn't know it. We are Pentecostal. Now is the time to sing and shout and rejoice for what God is going to do. God, thank you. And now we need to be lining up what we want God to do. We're not doing this to give ourselves a great name. We're doing it to usher in the kingdom of God. So all those people in your world who you know, who are not believers yet, start shouting with praise and joy over them. God, bring them into the kingdom. I worship you. I thank you. And as we begin to shout and sing and burst into song and shout for joy, spiritually we're setting something in motion which is going to draw in what God is doing. It's a very exciting time. Church, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. You have to believe first. You have to go, as Gary said, God's ways are not our ways. They're higher. We have to see it in our spiritual sense and we have to thank God for it and that draws it towards us. The barren or unfruitful woman here is being encouraged to sing and to rejoice before she's even pregnant in order to set fruitfulness in motion. That's what we do. We have got something conceived in us. It hasn't yet been born. But in fact, we can set fruitfulness in motion when we begin to shout and sing and with joy for it and over it. And we've done a lot of practical preparation and we've done a lot of thinking about why we're doing it. Now we need to get some more spiritual preparation in as we shout and sing for joy and declare over what God is doing and set that fruitfulness. And it says here that the fruitfulness of the barren woman will be greater than the fruitfulness of the one who has a husband. So what does that mean? Well, in the natural, unless you have multiple births, you probably only have one child a year. That's probably the rate at which you could have a family. But this is saying that actually the fruitfulness of the barren woman is going to be greater than in the natural. So it can be multiple and multiplied and it will be over and above because it's spiritual. It's not having one at a time. And how do I know this? Because verse 5 said, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. He is called um, God of the whole earth. So God is the husband of the spiritual birth as the husband is the is the um, in the natural, the husband and the wife uh, is the conceiver of the natural birth. So God, our Father, is put something in us, conceiving something in us to bring it to birth, which is going to be greater and far more fruitful than a one-to-one in the natural. Do you get what I'm saying, church? And God says in order to bring that fruitfulness in, start now shouting and singing for joy and worshipping God. You know, we really need to see it with our mind's eye, what God is doing. The key to the fruitfulness of inviting the kingdom of God in is praise and worship and thanksgiving and shouts of joy before we see it. So what else does God tell us to do in verse 2? Enlarge your house, build an addition... Spread out your home and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. 
See it, church. See it. Because when you see it, you'll start shouting for it. And you'll start ushering it in and ushering it. It's a spiritual thing. Ushering in what God is doing. We are enlarging the house. We are putting in an addition. We are going to be bursting at the seams. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then, and then God will conceive something else in us. And God won't wait till then, actually. I think God is already going to start conceiving in us the next step for when we're bursting at the seams. You know, there are times when you... Uh, read the word of God and you know it's truth but there are times when God breathes on something there are times when you read the word of God and you know that's for me there are times when somebody will share a testimony and you'll think that's amazing but it doesn't actually uh, resonate with your spirit in that same way it's when God breathes on something and when God breathes on something it's like the rhema it brings it into the here and now and God is breathing all over this God is breathing all over this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got to this point. God is breathing all over this. And if God is breathing all over us, it's for the here and now. It's in the here and now. And God is, is, is working in us now. Now is the time. And it brings a now emphasis to everything that we do. Matthew tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you. What we're doing here is not for us. It's for the kingdom. And we have got to see what God is doing in ushering in the kingdom of God. Something happened this week in the world which is absolutely unprecedented. (laughs) (laughs) But I am so glad that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. We do not have to fear. What a marvellous name it is. What a powerful name it is. No matter what is going on in the earth, we have to see that it desperately needs the kingdom of God. And it needs us. It needs us to be active and participating in ushering in the kingdom of God. We're doing this not for ourselves. And we've got to take our focus off and all these things will be added unto us. Otherwise we lose everything. You won't even get the kingdom of God. And we need to focus on the one whose kingdom it is, not the one who rewards. And God will give us and all these things will be added unto us, but only when our focus is on the kingdom. John seven sixteen says this. It says that the person who speaks their own mind has their own agenda with their own opinions and desires. But the man who speaks the will of God has God's heart. Amen. We can have our own ideas and thoughts and opinions about what God's going to do, but it will come to nothing We need to know God's heart. We need to speak God's truth into the situation in order to see it happen. We need to know we have the will of God when what we declare from our mouth then will change and we'll know it's taken root in us. You know, when we really grasp what God is doing, it will change the way we speak. And I always listen to what people tell me because they can tell you one thing and behave another way. But actually, when you have really, when something has really taken root in your heart, which is the truth of what God is doing, you will speak it out and you will declare it. And then you have a changed language and then you have a change of action. And until we know, until we start seeing it, until we start rejoicing in it and we start ushering it in, we will not see God's kingdom come on earth. Let it take root in you. 
marinate in God's word, marinate yourself in God's word so that something takes root in you, so that then you start to speak it out and that will start to change you. Joshua says this in uh, 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You've got to meditate on God's word. You've got to meditate on the truth. You've got to enable that to become part of who you are so that you speak it out. This is the year for doing something different. Okay, if you've never done that before, just start doing it. It might sound wacky to you, but you know what? We need to do something different in 2017 because if we repeat 2016, we'll still be sitting here like this in 2018. We've got to do something different. We've got to change the way we respond to the word of God. We've got to get out of our Britishness and out of our reservedness and even in the quiet of your own room, start declaring out God's word. Start declaring out the truth. Start asking God to help you to make it a part of you and a part of your speech and a part of your language so that God can start doing something with the truth that you're putting in. You will be prosperous and successful when you meditate on the word of God and you do what it says, no matter how wacky it might seem. Now, we don't want to be wacky. We don't want the world to see us as wacky. But actually, we are far too British. We are far too British and contained. I can remember, it's just reminded me, I was in the car with my niece once and I was thinking about something that God was saying and I actually started speaking it out. And she said, what? What are you doing? And then I suddenly kind of came to myself, oh, it's nothing, don't worry. Just just talking to God, you know, as you do. (laughs) You know, there is a connection between what you dwell on and what you say. If you spend all your time watching EastEnders, that is what you will talk about. (laughs) My colleagues at work watch Big Brother. I can't bear it. But that's what they talk about, because that's what's in there. What you talk about is what, uh, sorry, what you dwell on is what you will speak about. So start dwelling on God's word. Start dwelling on what God's doing. Start seeing what God is saying. It's a whole new concept perhaps for some of us, but then we just need to start declaring God's word over it with joy and thanksgiving before we see the answer because you set something in motion. The second thing that God will do is God needs to get our attention God needs to attract our attention. We live in a very noisy world where it's constant day and night. It's constant noise. And um, unfortunately, next week, I'm not going to be here because I'm going away on Saturday to Switzerland where I go every year with my family and we go for a winter holiday. And they don't, uh, they all go off skiing, but I don't ski. And... um, and, and I spend my time walking in the mountains on my own in the absolute silence. And every year in January, I reevaluate my life. Where am I going? What am I doing? What do I want to stop and leave in 2016? What do I want? Where do I want to be at the end of 2017? What are my goals? What are my aims? What are my ambitions? What has God put in me? What does God want from me? And separating that week out every year, and it's not the only time I do it, but... I go away with my family, which is really a great thing. And God wants our attention. 
He did with Moses. Moses was keeping the flocks of Jethro, uh, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and and he led the flock to the back of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God unto Horeb. And the angel of Jehovah appeared unto him a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside now and see this great thing that the bush has not burnt and when Jehovah saw he had turned aside he's to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses and he said here am I you know church we have to sometimes turn aside we have to stop what we're doing and notice what God is doing God wants our attention God will show you something extraordinary if you will stop what you're doing and focus on what he's doing. God will. And every year when I go away to seek God, I have a few things on my agenda. But most times when I go away, God says, I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk to you about my agenda. And so often we go to God with our agenda, but actually God wants to give us some of his agenda. And going before God with a blank sheet so that, say, God, speak to me. What do you want to say to me? God will tell you something extraordinary if you will stop and turn aside and look at what he's doing. It was only when God saw Moses turn his attention and Moses was totally focused on God, so focused on him that he said, here am I. That word Those words, hineni ani, in the original, they mean, here I am, God. I've turned completely to you in this moment. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I think, I'm here, I'm yours. Your attention, you've got my attention. Everything is yours. Those words are not just a a casual, hi, God, I'm here. It's a complete interruption of stopping and turning to God. And in this moment, everything I have is yours. It was the same response that Abraham gave when he was sacrificing his son. And God called, Abraham, Abraham. If he hadn't turned to give God his full attention, there may not have been an Isaac. God called him and he turned, here I am. It was the same response that Jacob gave to God when he had a dream. The same response that Samuel gave when Eli told him God was calling. The same response Isaiah gave when he said, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. He said, here I am. And an encounter with God that causes you to turn aside, to take your focus off what you're doing and to put your focus completely on what God is doing. We live in such a busy world that we need to find time when we can turn aside. If you are a member here, you have a responsibility to be a part of what God's doing. You have a responsibility to get it and to be part of what God is doing. And trust me, God wants to speak. God is not short of things to say. We're short of time to listen. And we need to interrupt our lives in order to enable God to have that time. When God created the heavens and the earth, he did it in six days. He took a day to rest. And that day of rest has completely gone from most Christian society. Now, I'm not going to legalise whether it should be Saturday or Sunday. But if God thought it was necessary to take a day off every week, then I think it is. 
I think it's necessary to take a day out of your week, whatever day you choose that to be, when you can stop what you're doing. The worst thing we did in this country was to have seven-day-a-week shopping because now people think, oh, I'll do it on Sunday. I'll do it on Saturday. You can do it any day of the week now. But, you know, if you were to take one day of your week or half a day of your one day of your week, if you've got a family, and say, on this day, I'm not going to put anything else in. I try to keep it for Sunday. I very rarely ever go out for lunch on Sundays. If people ask me, I usually say I'm busy or whatever because I try to keep a Sunday for church in the morning and then the rest of the day is mine. I want to be at home. I want to be with God. I want to be resting. I want to be relaxing. And I want to give God that opportunity, not just for me to physically recuperate, but for me to spiritually recuperate and um, to be able to have that time with God. I challenge you in 2017 to find somewhere in your world where you're going to stop and turn aside. And you're going to give that time for God to speak to you. God, anything you want to say to me, I am listening. That's what Samuel said. God, I'm here now and I'm listening. And there are times when I have a short, maybe a half an hour or an hour or some spare time at home when I'll go into my bedroom and I just say, God, I'm listening. Anything you want to say to me? Anything? I'm listening. And maybe he will and maybe he won't. But I'm cultivating the whole idea of giving God opportunity. Why should he butt into my busy life? Is my busy life more important? I don't think so. But you know, if we can have a grasp on the future, if we can see in our spiritual mind what God is doing in the future, it will help us to not be distracted. It will give us a goal. I said in the first service, I've just signed up to a London to Paris cycle ride. I'm fundraising for the hospice. It's the 50th anniversary, so I'll be after your money. I'll be round for me with my sponsorship form. <laughs> I don't think so. I still have some dignity. <laughs> However, I won't need a car parking space in the second service as I'll be coming on my bike. <laughs> Um, but you know I've got a goal now I've got to be fit by June it's 300 miles I've got to be fit by June I've set my now I've declared it haven't I (laughs) I have got to get into I've got an 18 week training plan which starts in two weeks time so watch this space you'll be seeing less of me But now I've got a goal, I'm determined. I'm determined because I can see something in the future where I will be fitter. I need to be fitter. I want to be fitter. I want to live a long life. That's also on my agenda with God. God, I want to live a long life. I've got a lot to do yet. So I challenge you to turn aside. And the third thing I want to talk about is this. Oh, sorry, let's just do this um, verse in Jeremiah, which has always inspired me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you did not know. Oh, church, if you could find some time to sit with God and call on him and say, God, will you show me great and mighty things you did not know? Make that your verse for 2017. 
every time you come before God. God, will you show me something I don't know? Will you show me something great and mighty? Will you show me something of your kingdom? Will you show me what it is you want to do on the earth? Because I want to be an instrument in what you're doing. I love that scripture. I go back to that very often. God, will you, by your mercy, show me something I don't know? And the third thing about God is that giving birth is not without its surprises. God has got some great surprises in store for us. And I want to finish off this morning with a story. In 1984, when I was 28, I was working here. And this is a 75-bed hospital right up on the border between Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And I worked there for three years. And here I am, just in case you didn't believe me, with Dorothy Palmer. For those of you who remember Dorothy, she came out to see me when I was there, sitting in my office, trying to keep awake in the sunshine. And um, while I was there, one day a woman came in with her four-year-old child who was ill. And she had um, six children already. And her four-year-old was sick. And so once we examined the four-year-old and worked out some treatment for the four-year-old, I couldn't help but notice she was hugely pregnant, this woman. And so I asked her if she'd had any antenatal care. She said she hadn't. Um, And I asked if I could examine her, and she said I could. So I put my hands on her abdomen, and I could feel multiple arms and legs. And I said to her, look, you know, I think there's more than one baby here. And I said to her, um, I could also feel she was contracting. So I said to her, would you be willing to stay at the hospital tonight and tomorrow and have the baby here? And she agreed to, and so she stayed. And I was um, not surprised when a few hours later they called me to the delivery suite and she wanted to push. And so I asked her to push and she did. And out comes baby number one and crying and of a good size. And so I thought, that's fine, we put that one in the cot. And I put my hands on her abdomen again and I said to her, I think there's another one there. Can you push again? And so she pushed again, and out came number two, crying and healthy. And we wrapped that one up, and we put that one in the same cot. We only had one cot. And so I put my hands on her abdomen for a third time, and I could feel another baby. And I asked her to push again, and she didn't believe me. And I said, you must push. There is another baby there. And so she did push, and out comes number three, crying and healthy and we wrapped that one up and we put that in the cot and then I put my hands on her abdomen again (laughs) and I said in my best Shauna your womb is empty (laughs) she now had nine children and here they are And it really was a battle to keep them alive because she didn't have enough breast milk for three. We managed to get Nestle to sponsor them and that really went against the grain in those days because there was a lot of controversy over artificial feeding in underdeveloped countries, but we had no option um, to try and keep them alive. Now, church, you may not think there are three in you, but there are. Trust me. Yeah. (laughs) 
Dragon. <laughs> Church, Church, I'm asking you to push again. I'm asking you to push again. We pushed and we got to two. Now we need to push again. And we need to get to three. When I, left, when I left this country in 1981, this was the scripture God gave me. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he is able. You know, church, God has got something in store for us. He has surprises. Don't think we know exactly what's going to happen. We don't. When God ushers in his kingdom, anything could happen. Don't limit it to what we know and what we think. We need to turn aside. I really believe that part of our times of prayer and fasting that we regularly have is the time when the whole church turns aside. Say, God, speak to us. Help us to know what it is that you want us to do. But individually, I'm urging you to find some time in your world to turn aside and to hear what it is God wants you to do. We are in for a great time, church. So buckle up. (laughs) 